This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Great block at 2. Saints go for it. Kamara down the sideline. What a throw. Another touchdown. Well, ESPN comes out with a weekly power ranking. And this week's power ranking after the events of the past NFL weekend and Monday night, they list the New Orleans Saints as the number one team. The Rams is number two. Understandable because the Saints beat the Rams. That was in New Orleans. They might meet again. Who knows where it might be. Kansas City is third. Now have the two losses. Interesting. Very close, both of them. They lost to the Patriots by, what, a field goal? In New England, they lost to the Rams by a field goal in that memorable game Monday night. But who moves up to number four? After beating a 3-6 and six Jacksonville team, Pittsburgh. The Steelers are now number four in ESPN's NFL power rankings. New England, by the way, is number five. So the Steelers are number four overall, but number two in the AFC, right behind Kansas City, but ahead of New England. That doesn't mean anything. We'll find out on the field. It's not college football. But it is interesting that people are beginning to take notice of the Steelers. Why not six in a row? Surprised that Houston's not higher up. Maybe they don't believe in them as of yet. But the Steelers are number four and are starting to get some attention, even though... I guess beating Carolina on national TV, that was a factor. Maybe the way they beat Jacksonville. I don't know. Obviously, if you just look at the game and say the Steelers beat Jacksonville, that statement, if you end it right there, in and of itself is not all that impressive. But when you then put that they were down 16 to nothing and came back, and scored 20 unanswered points to win the game against a pretty good defense, maybe that got people's attention. Maybe it was, I think, what happened in the locker room after the game. When Ben stood up and said, Telvin Smith was yip-yapping in my ear, but I'm going home with the game ball. I know Michael Wilbon on his show with Tony Kornheiser. He was actually ripping Jacksonville, not praising Ben so much, but ripping Jacksonville for always, you know, yip-yapping and opening their mouth when they really haven't done anything. But I think a lot of people are regarding the Steelers now as a tough team and a tough-minded team. And I think that adds to their street cred. 
that people are beginning to talk about them. Why wouldn't you? They're seven, two, and one. And right now, the number two seed in the AFC, that'll all play out. It is interesting that as much as you'd like to say the Steelers are eight and two as opposed to seven, two, and one, the fact that they did have to settle for a tie would potentially eliminate a tiebreaker with the Chiefs, to whom they've already lost. Now, that still means that the Steelers would have to finish ahead of Kansas City, and if things continue as they are now, they would have to hope Kansas City loses another game. If they don't, they're 14-2. and two. The Steelers can't reach that record. But if they should lose another game and they have to play the Chargers in L.A., they would have a chance. But that also would presume that the Steelers would go unbeaten the rest of the way, and frankly, I think that's a bit of a stretch. The game in Denver, it seems to me, might be eerily similar to the game in Jacksonville. I don't know if it'll play out that way. I don't know if it'll end that way, certainly. But I'm looking at this Denver team, and again, we'll find out more about them coming up in about half an hour when we talk to Mike Rice of the flagship station, KOA in Denver. But the Broncos' defense is very good, but they don't present a lot of challenges offensively. However, let me add, they present more challenges than Jacksonville did. Case Keenum... Might not be John Elway, but he's better than Blake Bortles. And they have more weapons than Jacksonville does, but their offense has not been terribly productive. Their defense, however, has been very good. In an earlier soundbite, we heard Mike Tomlin say that already Denver's played the Chiefs twice, they played the Rams, they played Houston, teams that all have great records. And not in one not in one of those games do they allow 30 points. And the Steelers are built to try to score 30 points a game. Denver hasn't allowed it, and I would imagine they're significantly better at home than they've been on the road. And Denver's not been a great place for the Steelers to play. I believe their last win against the Broncos in Denver came in November of 2009. They beat Denver that day 28-10. to Ben threw three touchdowns, passes, two to Hines Ward, one to Mike Wallace, and the fourth touchdown was an interception, a pick six by Tyrone Carter. Remember him? They picked him up in the Minnesota Vikings, 54-yard interception return. So the point is they've had their problems in Denver. Now there were some circumstances the playoff game a couple of years ago, should have won. They went in with not one, but one and a half, two hands tied behind their back. No Le'Veon Bell, no D'Angelo Williams, no Antonio Brown. And they still had the game until Fitzgerald Tucson's fumble. Things happen. But I think this game is going to be very, very similar to what happened in Jacksonville. What does that mean for the Steelers to win? Well, number one, they can't turn it over. If you've got 
a team like Denver that has its issues offensively, you can't hand them free points. It takes the pressure off their offense. Number two, your defense, meaning in this case the Steelers' defense, has got to do what they did against Jacksonville. Not to get run over in the first half and come back in the second, but 16 points. Because the chances are, you never know, but the chances are if your defense or your strong suit, as is the case with Denver, that you're going to have to keep the game in a manageable range so that your offense, meaning the Steelers' offense, doesn't have to put up 30 to win the game. So don't help them out, giving them free points, and the defense has got to keep it manageable for Ben Roethlisberger to score enough to win this game. Now the defense, their arrow has been pointing up, steadily up, since the beginning of the winning streak, which was against Atlanta. But I think there are a lot of similarities between what the Steelers did against Jacksonville and what they're going to have to do against Denver. The difference here is, is that overall, I think Denver's a better team. They play in a better division. And they're more intimidating at home than Jacksonville is. Jacksonville hasn't proven to be one of those places where, oh, boy, you can't win there. Uh, Yeah, you can. Denver, no matter what their team, I don't know if it's the altitude. I don't know if it's bad memories. There aren't that many players from even 2011 still around. But Denver's always presented challenges for a lot of teams. So what they did against Jacksonville, they'll need to do again this Sunday, only it would be advisable not to wait till five seconds remain in the game to do it. Jerry Dulac joins us talking Steelers next. Saverin on Sports, ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. I've been talked about it with two people already, just like, little division earlier on in the game, but at the same time, when it comes down to the wire, no one's pointing the finger and no one's, no one's freaking out. And um, it's just a testament to seven in the backfield, you know, the guys, and it just the trust just comes from there. So the Steelers have taken their place atop the division and near the top of the AFC. We're just talking about that. Ranked number four in ESPN's Power Rankings, number two in the AFC. We're joined now by our friend and colleague Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. Jerry's brought to us by Gorman's Pub in Brentwood. $2 Bud Light Aluminum Pints every Sunday. So you can get greased up and get ready for the Broncos game. (laughs) How are you, Jer? Well, Stan, they can deck them Broncos. They're just Yonkos. Yonkos. 
Did I love looking at that clip uh, with you introing that? Uh, just uh, looked at it about ten minutes ago, and I still, after all these years, get a chuckle out of it. Yeah, somebody uh, tweeted that, and and I retweeted it, right? Um, because I uh, was on Channel Four, and I did the intro to that. Myron was on tape; that wasn't like he had done it earlier, right. because right. Um, uh, I don't know. I think the first time he did it live, he was out of tune. Uh, so we don't yeah, want to have any I, of that. <laughs> right, right. You, like, like he was in tune on the other one. Exactly, yeah. Um, also, it was kind of like being with around Bill Cower. When Myron sang like that, there was plenty of spittle flying. So it was like a Bill Cower kind of thing. It was better on tape. Yeah, I think the producer was better off behind the glass, uh, <laughs> you know, in the glass enclosed room for that one. With windshield wipers, yeah. Um, Jerry, I was just talking in the last segment about this game. Um, well, let me just talk about in general. Uh, do you get the sense that the national media, the NFL in general, is beginning to take notice of the Steelers where perhaps before that they did not? Well, I mean, two things happen here, Stan. You win six games, um, it gets there in a row, it gets their attention. And when you now have as few losses as there is in the AFC, they and the Chiefs have only two losses, um, then all of a sudden people start to take notice. Um, and so I think, um, I think that is a big reason, and I think helping that, you know, that was, uh, that was a national game for CBS. And, when you, as, uh, and we know how bad they were in the first half, including the quarterback. When you see them come back, and the, the transformation, but the defense shutting them down on four straight possessions to end the game, four, three and outs, shutting down Leonard Fournette, and then turning the ball over to the offense, and Ben doing what he does with just remarkable plays. The two back shoulder uh, a fade passes to a Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, the 78-yard touchdown to Antonio Brown. To me, the biggest play of all on third and 10, the 25-yarder to A.B. over the middle, uh, uh, you know, through that zone down to the two that sets up the winning touchdown. I mean, it was just big play after big play in the final five minutes. And uh, when people see that, they go, wow. And, you know, and that's what we know they're capable of. We've seen a lot of that. You know, Vance McDonald said after the game when I was talking to him, he says, you know, I've been here for a year and a half, and he said, it's just crazy how we pull out games. And when you think about it, Stan, it really is. I mean, what, to go from as bad as they look to as good as they look I've tried to think of a game like that where they've gone from so bad to so good and pulled out. I, I really can't think of one. And for last-second dramatics, forget the Super Bowl. I mean, that's in a league by itself. The only other game I can come up with is the, Baltimore, the game in Baltimore with Antonio Holmes made the goal line catch. Very similar, somewhat debatable, but he got in. And, you know, for a crazy ending, uh, that one, you know, this one might have surpassed that. But I, I think I racked my brain to come up with one. That, that rivals how they went from just, like I said, horrid and putrid to just so amazing at the end. Well, uh, our brains are working in the same uh, direction because my opening statement on the Steelers postgame show on the network, and you were busy in the locker room, was uh, I've been covering the team now. This is my 43rd season. I don't ever, ever once remember them playing that badly and yet still winning the game. I've seen them play badly and lose, but I cannot remember a game where they played that poorly and yet somehow managed to win. But I also think 
Those are the kinds, and let's remember last year, what was it, four in a row? They had a, uh, needed a field goal by Boswell to win. Right, right. <clears throat> but those are the, you know, not the Carolina game and, you know, not beating up, you know, teams, that, you know, the, but those are the kinds of games that you add to your resume, you add to your win total, and it puts you in good place, in a good place for the playoffs. The Patriots don't blow everybody out every, you know, every week. I mean, they they do it often enough, but that's how they get to be thirteen and three. Yeah, and it's the manner in which they won too, Stan, to come back in those final five minutes, and and as I said, to perform so it was such a you know in, in an excellent fashion where it was just so completely opposite early. I mean, the Cincinnati playoff game a couple years ago was the one game. Uh, where I said at the end, oh, my God, they're going to win this game because of those two stupid penalties by those two thugs, uh, Vontez Burfitt and Adam Jones. Yep. Um, this was different in that I didn't, I didn't sit there and say, oh, my God, they're going to win because it wasn't as sudden. But nonetheless, from where they were to where, how they finished was just a complete transformation. And, and you know, I can't, I've seen games where they play ugly and win but not where they play like this for two and a half quarters and then turn it around so completely and, and, and win the game in the final five minutes with two scores like they did. Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, it, you get the sense, Jerry, with that in mind, um, because I, I do, uh, that this is a more emotionally mature football team. And I don't mean, you know, Facebook, and I don't mean driving on McKnight Road or smashing. Who are you talking about there? Sir? I don't know. Uh, I just been. Re- I, I got my police scanner. I heard about something, um, but from a, from a football mentality uh, perspective, it just seems to me like they're more mentally mature to deal with games like Jacksonville, and I think what'll be a similar game Sunday in Denver. Well, you know, we heard Mike Tomlin say yesterday, and I talked about this last night with Stephon Tewitt, who did not play in the game as we know, but I talked about just the general mentality. And, and Mike Tomlin said that, you know, he preached to the team all week uh, what this game was going to be like. And he said, unfortunately, it unfolded that way. He says, but the mere fact that they talked about it and somewhat were, were prepared for it helped them to pull through in, in, in the tough situations, you know, as into the fourth quarter there. So, um, you know, Stan, I think that's the mark of their franchise. Um, that's why they're just better than everybody else uh, year after year, decade after decade, with the exception of this past decade, the New England Patriots. Um, that's just the way they're built. Uh, all that credit, it starts at the top um, because the Roonies don't panic. Uh, they don't do that with coaches, as we know. Um, and, and it just filters on down. And, and you know, and, and by extension, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin gets a lot of credit for that because he's just not the panic type. And um, I think they've always been that way. And, and, you know, sometimes it bodes well for them. And it doesn't, it isn't that it doesn't bode well, but you know, some seasons aren't as good as others, but that's the way, that's the way they're wired, Stan. And you've heard me say many times um, <clears throat> that on Wednesday afternoon, I can't tell if they just won 50 to nothing or lost 50 to nothing. Um, and, and while some people, <clears throat> might think this is a, a springboard for them going forward, and I'm not saying that it isn't. They're, they're just of the mindset and, and the ilk that they just go on to the next week, and they're that way whether they've played good or whether they've played bad. But I do think when you win a game like that, certainly it helps your confidence because 
it helps you understand that, look, when things are looking bleak and they were looking bleak and you're down by a couple scores near the end of the fourth quarter, you know, don't don't give up. And let's face it, that's one thing this team doesn't do. They they don't give up. They may lose. They may not. They might get blown out occasionally, very rarely, but they never quit. We can always say that about them. Undoubtedly. And I think you can uh, actually expand that comment to talk about a season. Um, I, I've always felt that one of Mike Tomlin's greatest strengths is that he never loses a team. You see some teams – you know, go in the tank. His teams never do, whether it's in a game or whether it's in the larger context of a season. And I know that Mike Tomlin is never going to win any popularity contests around here. I'm sure you have the same experience. I was just saying this to Josh Yoey um, a while ago. Uh, I talked to other journalists and others, and they're, they're astounded that Tomlin is as unpopular in Pittsburgh as he is. They go, what? Yep. Um, right, right. But I also think that this year in particular, that he's done one of his best coaching jobs. Now, we got a ways to go. We got, you know, a ways to go yet. But basically, where they were in September to where they are now, um, I just think you got to give him a lot of credit, even if some people do so only grudgingly. I think right now, Stan, certainly in the AFC, he's the coach of the year. Um, I can't really think of one who, who, deserves it more certainly from a record standpoint again with only two losses they're tied with the chiefs um uh you know you can make the argument that the chiefs you know they didn't know they had what they have in patrick mahomes let's face it uh they turned it over to him but they never expected this so if somebody wants to tout andy Reid, okay but i think from the way the steelers started and i think everybody understands all the drama with Le'Veon bell and everything else to me um he's the coach of the year in the afc for sure and let's extend it to the NFC, and and really, um, and uh, you know, you could throw Sean Payton in there, obviously, with the with the run they're on, Sean McVay. But you can make every argument in the world for Mike Tomlin. Wouldn't shock me at all if he was the NFL Coach of the Year because he is definitely in the conversation. Yeah, I would think so, and that's you're starting to hear that rumbling, um, you know, amongst the national media. Uh, I'm looking at this game against Denver, and we're going to get a scouting report here at 120 uh, with Mike Rice. No, not that Mike Rice. It's a different Mike Rice um, who uh, works for the uh, flagship station in Denver. Um, I look at not only their record but the way they play, and I'm going to guess, Jerry, see if you agree, that a lot of the things that they had to deal with in Jacksonville in terms of what their opponent likes to do, is capable of doing, and incapable of doing, I I find the Broncos better – but very similar, limited offense, better quarterback, but a defense that is going to cause some problems. Yeah, and, and they do it with their pressure. And they do it very similar at Jacksonville. They use a lot of man coverage in their secondary. Um, that, though, ends up, you know, they, you get burned with that, though, too, if the protection is, is, is decent. Um, you, know, uh, you know, Von Miller, of course, you know, arguably the best pass rushing outside linebacker in the league, and the rookie Barney Chubb has been very good, um, probably will win NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. So they rely on those two to uh, get the pressure. I think they're the number one sack tandem uh, in the NFL, a 19 total. So that's what they're going to try to do, just like Jacksonville. They haven't been great against the run, kind of like Jacksonville, but their last five games, um, they haven't allowed a team to rush for over uh, 100 yards, whereas in the first 
five games, they they weren't very good at all, Stan. In fact, I, I think they're still low in the league. They're like 27th in the league against the rush, and that's not allowing uh, the the 100-yard rushing team in the last five games to show you how vulnerable uh, they were early. But, uh, yeah, they're very similar to Jacksonville in that regard, and I think they will try to defend the Steelers or attack the Steelers defensively with the same, with the same game plan, pressure the quarterback, you know, make him step up in the pocket, try and get him off his mark, hurry some throws, maybe create some turnovers, um, and, and, you know, uh, uh, disrupt, a, disrupt their passing game. And Denver's always been a difficult place to play for them. Um, sometimes when Denver's had a good team, others they don't. I, I think I'm correct on this. The last time the Steelers uh, won a game in Denver was in 2009. Um, it's, it's been a while. Uh, with the pass rush that the Broncos um, generate, um, is there legitimate concern over Matt Filer not being ready for the game? Well, um, I don't know if concern is the word, but, you know, Ben said today, look, whether it's Matt Filer or, or Chucho Corfor, and he didn't use them by name, he said, they're not going to rely on one guy to block Vaughn Miller. Um, it's going to take two. So, uh, you know, regardless of who it is, they're, they're going to have to help out uh, uh, with the tight end. And we've seen them stand. They've been very good protecting Ben. You know, the Jaguars had some pressure on him. I thought Ben was feeling pressure. I thought he was a little skittish in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling pressure. I don't want to say that wasn't there, but quick to feel it. Uh, not so much uh, in the fourth quarter when he had to stand in there and, and get rid of it. And I think the line kind of did a little better job at, at the end, too, because they knew they had to protect him. Um, so it's going to be the same thing. Ben's going to feel him, feel Vaughn Miller coming from the outside, but it's not going to be one guy anyhow. So uh, they've been very good at, at it. And, um, you know, there's no reason to think that they won't be good at it again. But you understand who's coming from that edge, and he's as disruptive a player. Uh, as there is in the National Football League because it gets all that attention and yet still is able to create that kind of pressure. And lastly, Jerry, did Stefan Tuitt give you any indication that uh, he'll be able to play? You know, Stan, I got the sense that he will not. Um, I got the, I got a, last week, it sound, he sounded more encouraged and optimistic uh, and, and somewhat certain that he would play, uh, but um, he didn't say, but just, when he was talking about, uh, you know, trying to get the, uh, you know, working to get the strength back in his arm uh, and, and just talking about the, the treatment, I got the sense that he's probably not going to play this week. Uh, obviously, we'll find out as we get to Friday, but that, that would be my guess that he's not going to play again this week. Okay. All right. That gives up the date. Jerry, have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Glad you're going to get a chance to spend with your family. Uh, safe travels to Denver, and we'll look forward to talking again next week. Absolutely, Stan. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see if they can uh, deck those Broncos. They're just Yonkos. Yeah, they're Yonkos, so they should be decked. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jer. All right, Stanley. All right. Jerry's brought to us by Gorman's Pub in Brentwood. $2 Bud Light Aluminum Pints every Sunday. What about those Yonkos in Denver, the Broncos? We'll get a scouting report from Mike Rice. Mike is the studio host for Denver Broncos uh, broadcast on the Denver Bronco Radio Network. He'll join us next on Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. What's that? First down, Philip Lindsay back in. Lindsay waits, great patience. Lindsay cutting to the outside.
outside. He's got blazing speed, and he's gone. Touchdown, Broncos. Tasmanian Devil running free for 41. The Broncos with a huge win on the road last week in Los Angeles, or nearby anyway, as they beat the Chargers, who play somewhere in between San Diego or L.A., but in any event, our contenders certainly in the AFC. We're joined now by Mike Rice of KOA Radio in Denver, flagship station for the Broncos Radio Network. Mike, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Stan. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I'm going to be on your station this afternoon at 4 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, give a little Steelers perspective here. We're going to get the Broncos perspective. You know, I, I'm looking, Mike, at, at the Broncos' schedule, and I'm they're 4-6, and six, but that easily could be at minimum six and four with some of the games they've played against some of the NFL's best teams. Yeah, there's no doubt. They've played the Chiefs really well twice and defensively did a great job against them both times. And it was a very close game both times, even in Kansas City. I mean, they made a game of it when they were down in the second half and they were leading by 10 in Denver earlier in the year. And Case Keenum missed on a potential touchdown pass which could have put the game away and they played the Rams very tough in Denver granted those were a couple of home games against those two teams but the Broncos have shown they can stay in games that they haven't had the best of years Stan but they have battled that's for sure you know it's interesting one of the other things that stands out is that here they've played uh, the highest profile offenses in the NFL obviously the Chiefs uh, you know teams like the Rams uh, Philip Rivers and the Chargers, uh, you know, teams you know that that have high pro uh, Houston, which is on uh, eight game winning streak now, um, and yet they've held those teams, every single one of them, to under thirty points or thirty points or fewer, which tells you a lot about that defense, especially in today's NFL. It's a very good defense. I mean, look, they've got a transcendent player. They've got a generational player in Vaughn Miller. I mean. People know what Vaughn can do. He is he is just that good. But they've got other pieces too. They've got you know Bradley Chubb is starting to make his mark as a first round pick and part of that pass rush package. They've got Shane Ray, Shaq Barrett. They've got four legitimate pass rushers, edge rushers that any any of whom can get pressure on the quarterback. Had a few problems in the back end, um, but for the most part. Um, they've made some bigger plays. They've made big plays against the Chargers. They've given up some yards. They've given up some points. But what was so encouraging, I think, from the Broncos' standpoint against L.A. last weekend was when they needed to, they came up with game-changing plays, and they hadn't been doing that in weeks prior. Interesting, because uh, the Steelers, despite their they're the only team that has the winning record that is a minus in turnover ratio. They're a minus three, so that certainly can be a factor. Um, Von Miller doesn't need any much help from anybody, certainly not in recognition and other teams preparing for him. But I'm wondering if the addition, as you've seen it, Mike, if the addition of Bradley Chubb, generally on the other side, has made Von Miller even more effective because you have to pay some attention to the other guy on the other side. I think so. I don't think there's any question. Bradley, not surprisingly, got off to a little bit of a slow start. Uh, He was probably several weeks in before he got his first sack of the season, but we have just been seeing more consistent production out of him. And while the Broncos still, I think, long-term have to kind of figure out what they're doing at quarterback, they made the decision 
to sign Case Keenum and then go in a different direction in the draft. And, you know, John Elway's made no secret of the fact that he puts a premium on edge rushers and, you know, impactful edge rushers. And they've got one in Chubb. I think Miller and Chubb certainly complement each other, but, I mean, Vaughn's the guy. He makes everybody better. But the fact that they have a few other options and a guy like Chubb who is, you know, developing nicely in his rookie year certainly doesn't hurt Vaughn in the least. Because now offensive coordinators, they don't just say, okay, where's 58, where's Miller, and how do we deal with him? But they also have to at least keep in mind, look, if if we put all of our resources to Vaughn, Bradley Chubb is certainly capable of beating single coverage on any play. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes you can get caught up in stats, and I think sometimes they lie. When I see a team ranked in a certain level, let's say defense against the run, uh, my first thing is, well, how are they doing against the pass? My point is that the Broncos, I believe, are 27th against the run, but that may be because teams don't want to pass against them because of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. Has that been the case, or have they just been flat-out weak against the run? I think it's been a little bit of both. I mean, clearly you have to respect the pass rush, but, I mean, teams are running with, I think success that if you're Joe Woods and the Broncos defense, you've got to tighten up. I will say that there were two games back-to-back earlier in the year. One was the game at the Jets when Isaiah Crowell went for like 219 by himself. The next week, Todd Gurley of the Rams went for 208. That was the first time that an uh, NFL, in the history of the league, that a team had given up back-to-back 200-yard rushers. So they've been better since, for sure, but it's also been a run defense that has been gashed way too often. I mean, if you're going to be an elite defense, you have to be better against the run, and the Broncos have really struggled in that department at times. Well, given the fact that they have, again, allowed 30 or fewer points to the most explosive offenses in the league, in your view, Mike, what has been the primary reason for that? Again, creating just the negative plays? Yeah, they're they're inconsistent, Stan. There's just no other way to put it. And you know, I think I think as the the losses mounted in the middle part of the year, you know, when they lost, I mean, going into the week, the game against the Chargers, they had lost six of seven. Remember, they had an eight game losing streak last year. I think we've seen Vance Joseph be a little bit desperate at times in his decisions, and those don't always. I mean, that's not a real good, um, you know, way to to make uh, decisions as a head coach to be desperate, and so. Some of those decisions have have backfired, quite honestly. And when you couple that with inconsistent play and key penalties at key times uh, way too often, the Broncos are just an inconsistent team. They simply aren't good enough to overcome those kind of mistakes on a regular basis against good teams. You know, you mentioned Vance Joseph. Uh, Obviously, the national rumblings, when they were enduring that losing streak, if you will, uh, his job, apparently, at least according to some, was on the line. Is it still, will it be after this year, or does it depend on how the Broncos finish out the season? I, I, John Elway has been pretty clear, and he, he told us uh, two or three weeks ago that they're going to stay the course for now. And I think the only way that his mind changes during this season is if the Broncos have two or three really bad losses in a row. No no team wants to change its head coach in the middle of the year or during a season, you know, especially not with six or seven games left. So Vance was very much on the hot seat earlier in the year. Now, how they finish, I think, will determine 
whether or not he's back. I don't know that John Elway has that set in his mind, but I would say this. Anything under eight wins, I can't see him back. If it's eight wins, flip a coin, and who knows. If it's nine or ten wins, if they run the table and happen to go ten and six and sneak into the playoffs, again, my personal opinion, not based on inside information, I'd I'd be hard-pressed to see the Broncos make a change there. It would have been such a dramatic turnaround from last year, and ending the year on a seven-game winning streak, that would be something. Hey, they've got the Browns, the 49ers, and the Raiders. Uh, you know, so it's not uh, out of the realm of possibility, a difficult one this week. Then they have to travel to Cincinnati uh, and end up against the Chargers. But still, um, Browns, 49ers, and Raiders, you'd have to like their chances there. I think it's possible. I mean, be, I, I, it's possible because of the schedule. But, I mean, quite honestly, nobody's predicting that out in these parts. Now, could it happen? Sure, it could happen. But... We have to. We would have to see the Broncos play much more consistently than they have up to this point. Again, I think they have a good enough roster to do that, and and a big key, maybe the key in that regard, would be Case Keenum. Uh, he's got to be more consistent. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. But at the same time, I would have to say, you know, I'll see it when I believe it because they've just been uh, too inconsistent at times. Well, Mike, you mentioned Case Keenan. I want to get to the offense. You mentioned his inconsistency. Um, evaluate his performance thus far. Up and down. There's no two ways about it, Stan. At times, especially earlier in the year, uh, the first two games of the year come from behind drives late in games, and it looked like, all right, you know, he's, he's going to settle in. One would think he'd be better. He had an interception, at least one in his first, I think, eight games of the year. That certainly wasn't good. Uh, he just couldn't string together high-level, elite type of play. Now, on the other hand, that's not been his history. So the question is, was he going to be more as he was with the Vikings last year or more like he was previous to last season? And I think we've seen a mixed bag. He was very good against the Chargers in the fourth quarter when he went 5 of 5 on the final drive and then spiked it for his only incompletion on that final drive in the two-minute drill and got Brandon McManus a chance to win it. But Stan, he just hasn't been good enough for long stretches of the game. And if the Broncos are going to be a serious contender here and string together some wins, there's just no two ways about it. He has to play better football. Is Emmanuel Sanders still his primary weapon, or does he spread it around? No, I mean, he is is the guy, really. And, and the young guys like Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick and – Deshaun Hamilton, who again got banged up with a knee last week. Those three are the main reasons that the Broncos felt like they could trade Demarius Thomas because they wanted to get those young guys more reps. But Emmanuel Sanders is the main threat, there's no doubt. And he'll, those two guys had a chemistry right from the beginning of training camp, and it's continued. You know, Now, of course, team – and the other guy who's emerged, I would say, is tight end Jeff Hireman, who really hadn't done much as a receiver – his first few years, and he had an ACL mixed in before he even got on the field as a rookie. But he caught ten passes two weeks ago. I think he wound up with five or six last week. So he, the Broncos have needed a threat at the tight end position. They lost Jake Butt. Hireman stepping up the last two weeks, certainly becoming more of a reliable target for Keenum. Are there any significant injuries to significant players who you don't expect will play Sunday, Mike? Brandon Marshall could be iffy. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton, iffy. Uh, 
I'm trying to think right off the top of my head. And, of course, they lost Max Garcia. Their whole line is just decimated right now. Max Garcia is out for the year with a torn ACL, suffered in practice last week. He had come into the starting lineup after being a backup to start the year because the Broncos, what, a month or so ago, lost Ron Leary, their terrific left guard, to a uh, an Achilles injury. And then they lost center Matt Paradis as well, who's you know kind of the the guy who makes all the checks and had been so reliable. He hadn't missed a snap until he got hurt in like you know four or five years. So the O-line is banged up. They basically are playing all tackles. And they've got guys who are primarily tackles now playing on the interior, with the exception of Connor McGovern at center. And last week it worked against the Chargers. We'll see how it does you know, when, when Pittsburgh has a week to scout them. Well, the Steelers could be down to their third uh, tack, uh, tackle, right tackle anyway, uh, injury. Just for your information, Stefan Tuitt looks like he will not play starting mm. defensive end. Um, he missed a game in Jacksonville as well. And <clears throat> their top two tackles look like they may be down right tackles for Sunday's game. The last thing we were talking about just a little bit earlier, I was talking about ESPN's power rankings this week, not that they're anything official, but they moved the Steelers up to number four and number two in the AFC. And I wondered what the perception is from the Steeler team that was one, two, and one um, and really looked to be in a state of dif- disarray and have now put together six consecutive victories. Yeah, I mean, the perspective from out here is certainly offensively elite. There's just no two ways about it. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, the thing that keeps coming up in Denver is just how difficult he is to bring down, and that's not unique to Denver, right? I mean, that's that's because he is such a talent and so strong and so big. And, you know, that's not new for the Broncos. They're well aware of that, but you still have to deal with it. It's not enough to get to Ben Roethlisberger. You have to get him down, and that is certainly a chore to be sure. And then, I mean, what James Conner has done has been remarkable. What Antonio Brown continues to do has been remarkable. I just personally find it amazing that a guy like Le'Veon Bell can can sit out the whole year and the Steelers' offense doesn't seem to miss a beat. Defensively, I think out here there's there's probably a question of you know how good are they really uh, because they've been in some shootouts and you know perhaps is this you know is this sort of continuing a, a bit of a trend that maybe the Steelers have had in recent years of of not having that steel curtain type of defense. But look, Pittsburgh's one of the elite teams in the AFC. Rank them second behind KC. Rank them third behind New England. However you want to do it. I love the Steelers. I love Big Ben, and James Conner is a football player. I mean, it's just a really well-rounded team. Yeah, it comes from a, stems from a good organization, and that's why, yeah. you know, good teams, they seem to perpetuate that, and it's, it's organizationally as much as anything else. Mike, we really want to appreciate the Thank you for your time and appreciate your being here. Uh, great insight, great conversation. Happy Thanksgiving to you, and enjoy the game Sunday. Sam, thanks. Happy Thanksgiving to you and all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on. Okay, our pleasure. Thank you very much. That is Mike Rice from KOA Radio in Denver. Great insight from Mike on the Broncos.